readers, writers, listeners, welcome. This is the Page Turners Podcast, and I'm your host, Miranda, an avid reader, a published author, and a longtime listener of podcasts. This is the Page Turners Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. The Miss America Opportunity has four core values, or points of the crown, as we say. Their service, success, scholarship, and style. But there's also an invisible point, one that sort of bleeds into every aspect of Miss America, and that's sisterhood. Now, once you enter one of the local competitions that we have for Miss America, you become connected to this Miss America sisterhood. This sisterhood spans previous generations and connects future generations with like-minded women who are passionate, motivated, talented, and want to make an impact in their communities. Doesn't that sound incredible? Oh, I'm just chills thinking about the fact that I'm a part of this sisterhood. Well, by winning Miss South Dakota and heading to Miss America in January, I have been blessed with having a friend for life in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., But I've also had the chance to befriend some of the women who came before me, such as today's guest. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but some of the guests for the Page Turners podcast were secured for the lineup by, well, bombarding them on social media. (laughs) And that's what I did with today's guest. I've actually followed her for years, even before I knew that she was within this sisterhood. And I've watched her become a TikTok sensation, serve as a state title holder, and now sharing her journey of becoming a published author. So I'm incredibly excited to share today's discussion with forever Miss Utah, Sasha Sloan. Awesome. Well, I am kind of over the moon for this episode. There's always some excitement to every podcast that I do, but this one is extra cool because we are joined by somebody who is within the Miss America sisterhood, but also somebody that I found on TikTok long before I even knew she competed. Let's welcome Sasha Sloan. Sasha, if I can say your name, the excitement. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to get into it. (laughs) So to start things off, I always like to kind of do the, you know, the rigmarole, if you will, of tell us about yourself so that everybody can get to know Sasha. Great. Well, I am from Salt Lake City, Utah, born and raised, and I won the title of Miss Utah in 2021 and competed at the 100th anniversary Miss America competition. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> um, and like you mentioned, I do a lot of things on book talk. I have a YouTube channel and I'm really passionate about fantasy books in particular. And uh, for the last year, I've been working on what I'm hoping will be my debut fantasy novel, which I'm sure we'll kind of talk about that that sort of thing when we get into it. Yes, I'm so excited. And I love that you say your claim to fame was Miss America and competing at Miss America, which it absolutely is and was. But also we've got to talk about kind of the TikTok sensation that you are with House of Black. Talk a little bit about that, please. Everybody's got to know they've got to go watch it. Okay, yes. So this is probably the most fun thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, During the COVID pandemic, I have a very big family and I have a a family that's really involved in both professional and amateur theater. 
Um, that kind of comes from my parents. My mom is a very good pianist and my dad is really into musical theater and he kind of raised all of his daughters to do that. And so during the pandemic, I had living all in my house, a bunch of actors that were unemployed and my family had the idea to create a movie that's like a prequel to Harry Potter and we filmed it on an iPhone and sort of rolled it out during the pandemic like one minute at a time and it ended up becoming more than two hours worth of footage of this series uh, called The Noble House of Black and um, it, it kind of went viral during the pandemic and during this time when everyone was sort of shut at home there was really this sort of national trend of escapism and sort of a return to a lot of nostalgic fantasy and Noble House of Black was definitely caught up in that trend and so it's kind of this really fun moment where the world sort of stood still and we kind of got to share this sort of magical experience with the book talk community on the new TikTok app. And so that's actually how I found you is you know I had joined TikTok kind of there at the end of my senior year of college, because I was in college when the pandemic happened. So my life got kind of flipped like so many people's did. And I remember watching those like one minute blurbs and being like, I need more. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Followed you. And then you won Miss Utah, like I said, and I, I had no idea. I was like, whoa, this is a pageant girl, if you will, if you will, I'll put quotations around that. And I just thought that was so amazing to see somebody else who was so invested in kind of being, I mean, everybody is who competes, but just being truly authentically themselves. And I loved that I got to see that before I even knew that you won. And of course, you're big on book talk, which is perfect for somebody who loves reading and her community service initiative is all about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's been so fun that we both kind of both get to do Miss America during this time when social media is really empowering candidates in an unprecedented way. Like, I know everyone's sick of the word unprecedented, but <laughs> it's something that I thought about all the time during my year as Miss Utah. And something that I would say a lot is that 20 years ago, candidates in the Miss America organization really had to kowtow to large media corporations and their vision of what Miss America was. Because if you were Miss America, you were sort of reliant on news articles and maybe a little sliver of primetime television. And that was the whole story of the Miss America brand. And now that teens are watching TikTok more than they're watching TV, it means that candidates are really able to tell their own stories in you know a way that's just completely unprecedented. And like, I wasn't really a very traditional Miss America candidate. Like, I didn't think that I had a very strong talent. Like, I'm not really the person you would think of, of like a bikini model, but like, <laughs> you and me but, both, but, girl. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but like I had interests that really resonated with a lot of people that were very authentic to me, like my love of fantasy books and reading and TikTok allowed me to tell that story and connect with people. Um, and I just feel really lucky to have that tool you know, as a Miss Utah, is it, it is a new tool. And like, you have the same experience where you can have a podcast, mm -hmm. you know, as a title holder and tell your own story in your own words. And that's, I don't know, this is something that I thought about a lot is how lucky we are to live in an age where we're empowered in that way. 
Yes. I think empowerment is kind of the perfect word. Like as you were talking, all I could think was it makes you feel empowered because you get to share your story. Um, And in a way, like you said, that you really kind of couldn't before you could maybe on a personal level, you get to connect with so many more people and so many more people get the opportunity to learn about who we are and the Miss America opportunity because of social media. I think it's really cool. And I want to get more into like book talk and your, you know, all of the amazing things that you're doing. I always love when you pop up on my feed, but first I want to talk a little bit more about fantasy. Cause you keep coming back to it. I am a lover of fantasy books as well. That's kind of what ignited my love for reading, but I want to know Sasha, what is your favorite book? Oh, that question. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I just had a family member ask me that. And I kind of just gave him a blank stare. And I was like, that's a really hard, it's, really hard question. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. I think that I, I, I've got to say Harry Potter. I'm so sorry. It's so cliche, but like, I have to back it up and say, what I love about Harry Potter is that because of its popularity and its mass appeal, there is a fandom for Harry Potter that has spawned so many original and creative works. And I would say that two of my favorite books of all time are All the Young Dudes and mm-hmm. Manacled. And both of those are Harry Potter fan fictions written for free and given for free to the internet as a gift and so like I have to say Harry Potter is my favorite book because of the fandom and what it's created and the opportunity that I have to be a person with a career that's been launched by Harry Potter. I mean, Harry Potter is pretty amazing. I quoted Harry Potter in my Miss America or Miss South Dakota paperwork. Um, no way. Wait, which quote? I got to know. Well, not a quote specifically, but I, I talked about it at the beginning. So my favorite series, my favorite book is Twilight. Um, so I get the like cliche, you know what I mean? Um, Girl, Harry I actually, I was just reading Midnight Sun like, oh, the, so like good. two days ago. Oh, I love it. <laughs> It's so good. Um, But I talked about like, and I verbatim can't remember it off the top of my head, but I talked about like learning strength and the ability to, um, I'm completely blanking on what I had in there, but I I referenced Hermione. Um, And so I I would reference some of my favorite characters. So of course I talked about Hermione. I think I referenced Alice Cullen. Um, Once upon a time, I thought I was going to be Alice Cullen. Uh, So I get that. I I get that, you know, maybe it feels cliche, but everybody has that book and there's a reason that you love it. And it really shouldn't matter what that reasoning is, as long as you have found that kind of passion for reading. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that I'm really passionate about is making reading more accessible to the rising generation and to a new generation of readers. And I feel like something that people have to come to terms with is that many people, many young people read books online Mm -hmm. in a way that's different than previous generations. And that reading isn't any lesser than somebody who goes to a library and checks out a book and does it in the traditional way. And in fact, that like, if you think of only a traditional reader who's reading literature as the type of person who should be reading, that's very exclusive Mm -hmm. and doesn't take into account a lot of accessibility issues, you know? And so like, I know personally that there are thousands of teenagers out there who love to read huge amounts of Harry Potter fan fiction online. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want to read for an hour every single day. 
And I say like, oh my gosh, we should be empowering those readers and telling them that's amazing. Keep doing exactly that and recognize that it's like a positive thing for them and for society, even though it's not what we traditionally think of as like, you know, good reading, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Say it louder for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally agree with that. I, you know, I'm going to out myself, if you will. The last full book I read was online and it was on my phone. It was on Facebook, like a chapter had popped up and I was sucked in right away. And I would read it during commercial breaks. When I was on TV, I would read it, you know, during my dinner break. And that's the last full book I read was literally on my phone, even Twilight. When I um, read that and I'll put quotations again, you guys can't see my hands, but I listened to that in the car with my mom. That's how I got into the Twilight series is we listened to it. My brother listened to Harry Potter as long as you're consuming in some way, I think I agree. We need to get away from that stigma that you have to be reading in a certain way for you to be reading and for it to be accepted that you're reading. Absolutely. Yes. And recognizing that all of those forms of reading are valid. They're good for your mental health. It's making you smarter. There's so many good reasons you should be doing it. Definitely. So I think that kind of rolls then right back into book talk. Um, Talk with me a little bit about why you see an importance of being able to use the platform of TikTok and kind of that hashtag in particular to be able to reach people and to be able to make, you know, different stories, your story that you're writing accessible to people. Well, I'm a really big believer that reading is a fundamentally social activity. I think that people read to scratch our need as humans to have social interaction, to think about social problems. Mm -hmm. And I feel like book talk has created a space where a lot of people can participate in conversations, both through making videos and through voting and commenting. And we can have discussions about social issues. We can have discussions about relationships and about life and you can connect with people. So I feel like the reason that book talk has been driving so much in publishing, the reason that when you walk into a Barnes and Noble, there's a book talk table front and center. Mm -hmm. I think it's because it's allowed people to engage more in the social aspect of reading you know, and that's one of the things that I really love about being in fantasy in particular is that I feel like a lot of fantasy fandoms are very vibrant. There's a lot of people who want to participate and be part of the conversation and buy merchandise and go to events and and connect with other human beings over these stories. Um, So I really just see book talk as a platform for bringing people together, you know? What do you, oh, and I'm curious, what do you think and what's been your impression and your participation in book talk? So in season one of the podcast, actually, one of my favorite episodes was somebody that I found via book talk. His name is Oliver James. I'm not sure. Hey. Who, I, I don't think, um, I mean, he blew up there for a little while. I haven't been keeping up with it as much lately, but he, you know, was very real and very raw and shared with people that he couldn't read. He was 32 years old and he was finally opening up to the fact that he 
you know, he could read the bare minimum. He could get through day-to-day life, but he wasn't, he wasn't really living and he was going to have a child and he didn't want to continue that cycle. He didn't want his child to have some of the trauma around reading that he did. And that was one of my favorite conversations just because it was so powerful for somebody to share their story in that way. And, you know, he was sharing all of the, like, he'd go to the library and he'd share that on TikTok. He would talk about the book that he was reading and how he was struggling with it or if he made it through the chapter, or maybe he had to go back and reread. And I have been an avid reader for most of my life. I haven't struggled with that, but I have seen people in my life struggle with it. And so for him to share that story, I just thought was really cool for then me to be able to elevate that as well. I just, I, book talk is so interesting to me because there is a lot of just sharing of novels that maybe you hadn't heard of, or, you know, everybody's kind of freaking out about at the moment, but there's also so many people who are sharing the importance of accessibility, education, representation, how reading is a fundamental tool for your entire life. And I think that's, what's really cool when you kind of break down past maybe just the, the surface level of what book talk is. Absolutely. Yeah. Something that you touched on is, um, the way that book talk is enhancing representation. Mm-hmm. And I think that personally, one of the ways that I've benefited the most from book talk is education from people sharing their experiences firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, for example, I think it's helpful as an author that you can get on book talk and you can scroll through videos of women of color explaining from their perspective, hey, here's what I would like to see and here's what I would not like to see in books. And that you can seek out and educate yourself by supporting those creators and viewing their content and engaging and you can learn so much. And, you know, just as an author, my own cast in my book has diversified so much as a result of participating on Book Talk. And I feel like talking about this as a white person can be really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but as Miss Utah, I tried to really um, try to have those difficult conversations. Absolutely. And so, and so I feel like, I just want to say like, you, you talked about Twilight and Stephanie Meyer is an author who comes from Utah, same place I grew up. And when I was 15 years old, the cast that I picked for my books was about as diverse as Stephanie Myers's cast, which is not diverse at all. And I think that the difference between the world that she was living in as a writer when she was writing those books and the world that I'm living in as a writer is that I've had access to those perspectives and I've been able to seek them out to learn more and to honestly, to make a lot of mistakes and put my foot in my mouth a lot Um, But I've been able to learn and grow in a public place and tackle some of those issues. And those are conversations that really need to be had in publishing and in literature. Um, You know, another thing that really informed my perspective on that was working at Disney World. You know, you can't really talk about fantasy without talking about Disney. They Mm -hmm. occupy a huge, yeah, they're they're a huge, huge, huge portion of the market. Mm -hmm. And something that was really, really eye-opening for me at Disney was that you'd go sit in the break room and you would look around and you would see 10 Cinderella's and 10 Aurora's and 10 Anna's and 10 Elsa's and 10 Snow White's, you know, I'm just, obviously these are rough numbers. Yeah. And then you would realize like, oh, there's only one princess Tiana. Mm -hmm. So like, 
how in the world is Disney going to be equitable in the opportunities that they're giving when we're a hundred years behind the trend? And if you want to create those opportunities, it absolutely makes sense for Disney to be seeking out and intentionally creating more characters that are diverse. And it, it completely opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, we absolutely need to be proactive about this mm -hmm. to repair this problem. It's not going to just repair itself naturally um, if we just, you know, continue on. So I don't know. I, I think that I've been really lucky to have my eyes opened to those things through participating in book talk. And I think a lot of people are realizing that, you know, we, we have the privilege of having seen ourselves in popular culture and in media. You know, we can, we can find ourselves in a book, we can find ourselves in a movie, but a lot of people can't, whether that's, you know, not seeing your skin color or, you know, a disability or whatever it may be that sets you apart and makes you different and unique and beautiful because those are all beautiful qualities and they should be highlighted, but they haven't been. And I mm -hmm. think it's so important that we talk about that. You know, we talk about that. Other people talk about it, educate themselves because everyone deserves to find themselves within something. And especially for me, find themselves within the pages of a book. That's, I, I think that's, you know, books are are kind of the the building block. I mentioned that earlier because as a kid, you love reading books or you hope that kids love reading books. You know, you see pictures, you see characters within those pages and everyone deserves that opportunity to feel that connection that you and I have had. Absolutely. You know, another book that I think <clears throat> taking the world by storm right now is Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Okay. And it's the number one New York Times bestseller right now. It's about a girl in a dragon college, which is very much up my alley. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I loved it. Um, and her main character has a physical disability, mm -hmm. a condition that the author herself actually has. Really? And in this fantasy world, it's presented as like an illness, like a bone density issue thing. But it's really, really fascinating to read the book and to see how this physical condition that she has enhances the conflict and it enhances her as a character. And it's a whole other wrinkle and challenge for her to work through. And it makes her such an endearing character. It makes you really root for her and want to follow her. And, um, and, and it's because the author was brave enough to go so into detail about her own experience, you know? So I, I love that book talk is, and books, honestly, in general, are able to connect you with those type of human experiences mm -hmm. and help you think about really what it would feel like to live your life in somebody else's skin, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You not only see yourself, but you get to experience something that physically you never have or mentally you never have. You can put yourself in a sense, in the place, you know, in that person's shoes. And I, and I think that's huge for people because, you know, it gets you out of your box. And I think that's why books are so important and not to get into this, but like banned books, we need those books. We need to be able to read these things, whatever the topic may be, because that's pushing beyond your box. That's pushing beyond your corner and what you're comfortable with. And we need to be made to feel uncomfortable. I think that's so important. Absolutely. I actually love that you mentioned banned books. I mean, I think <laughs> a lot of my favorite books 
Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Twilight, Handmaid's <laughs> Tale, like so many books I love have been banned. Right. And I, I'm a really big believer that one of the biggest issues that we have right now in our country is um, divisiveness and partisanship thinking. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like those difficult conversations, those ideas that we want to ban and shove away, those are exactly the type of conversations we should be having. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. And that we should be creating space for in society, you know? Oh my gosh. This is everybody pause, rewind 10 seconds and listen to that one more time. I think that that is something that we can all hear again is that those are conversations we need to have and books are an accessible way to start that conversation. And they're a more approachable way to be able to open up that conversation and learn about new things, learn about things that make you feel uncomfortable. So hope everybody rewound and listen to that again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, on a personal level, I had mentioned that I've been working on my own book for the Mm -hmm. last year as an author, which has been really scary, (laughs) very terrifying. And this last week, I shared a few Instagram stories about some of the inspiration behind my book, which I've been doing a lot. Uh, Wait, sorry, what? (laughs) I missed those. I didn't get to see that. I've been trying to follow along. and (laughs) Well, girl, I'll fill you in. Yes. For researching my own book, I've been digging a lot into my own family history and in particular, my matriarchal line. So looking at my mother's mother and her mother and her mother and her mother. And that line for me traces back to Salem, Massachusetts. So that's been really fun because I've been living in Massachusetts for the last year. And um, so anyway, I shared some stories that I that I've been researching, digging into Utah history. And I had about 300 people unfollow me. <laughs> oh no, really? Which, which I don't mind at all, but it's so interesting to me that it happened because of these stories, right. because I was sharing kind of an uncomfortable piece of Utah history that a lot of people aren't familiar with. And it was so interesting to me that that many people were like, no, unfollow. I don't want to know. Which is so sad. Yeah. And literally I had copy and pasted like Wikipedia, like straight facts. And there were people that were like, oh, I, I don't want to confront that idea. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's something that I kind of just simmered on like for a few days of just like, wow, like it, it's so interesting that we are in a moment in society where there's a lot of people who just don't want to see what mm-hmm. they don't want to know. And that's reflected in people's choices in the media that they consume and what news they watch and the conversations that they seek out. And it's very much exacerbated by our little social media echo chambers. But one of the things that I love about reading and seeking out, you know, educating yourself is that you're able to confront those hard and difficult facts and those conversations that need to be had, even if they are uncomfortable, you know? Oh, absolutely. I actually want to kind of move into you as an author, because you've mentioned that now a couple of times. And, you know, part of this podcast is to talk with authors and talk about their books and what they're doing and what, you know, what people can find and read. So, You've got to share because I, I've been keeping up on book talk and on social media. So I know a little bit about it, but just tell my listeners, tell our listeners what you're writing. I think it's so exciting and I'm going to buy one of the first copies. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, bear with me. This is going to be literally the first time I've ever tried to explain it <laughs> in this context. Um, I'm writing a book about a girl and her sister 
And in this universe, it, it kind of takes place in sort of a dystopian hellscape where dragon riders have swept in and taken over the world. So it's kind of post-apocalyptic and they're living in a commune called the New Eden Survivalist Commune. And it's people who believe religiously that the dragons are evil, that they're harbingers of hell and that they should be avoided at all costs. And my main character, it kind of follows her journey as she escapes from the New Eden Commune and ends up getting arrested by the Dragon Empire and then goes on to attend the Dragon Way Royal Academy of Flight. So, and I think that probably the best pitch to explain it, this is how I explain it to my boy cousins, is that I went and saw the movie Top Gun. Okay, yeah. So I don't, you've seen Top Gun. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if there was a school, like the school they go to in Top Gun, yeah. but it was for writing dragons. <laughs> I was like, could I write that book? <laughs> and so that's the book that I tried to set out to write. So that's my little dragon book that I'm writing right now. And I'm not quite sure what the publishing title will be, but mm -hmm. the working title is Dragon Way. So anyway, if I refer to it, that's, that's what I'm calling it for now. Oh, I love that. I got to know where your inspiration came from. You've talked a lot about, you know, kind of the cast within your book, your um, characters changing and evolving, but where, where did this idea come from? You say Top Gun, but it's, it's also so much more than that. There's a lot of moving pieces rather than just Top Gun, but make it dragons. Yeah, there's there. Uh, amen. A lot of moving <laughs> pieces. I'm with you. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to pinpoint where the idea was because this idea I've been working on since I was about 15 or 16. And so the pieces folded out over the years as I developed different aspects of the fantasy world. Because one of the hard things about being a fantasy author is that you're trying to develop a fully fleshed out universe, you know, that includes a lot of political conflicts and a lot of different peoples and languages and stories interacting. Um, so the original inspiration, I would say, for uh, the Dragonway series is um, as when I was like 15, I was reading about jungles and how in a jungle, different types of species live at different heights. And in my little 15 year old brain, I was also thinking about like the concrete jungle, like New York City. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how really rich people live in penthouses and how there's a lot of inequality exacerbated by physically where you're living in the city. Mm -hmm. And my imagination kind of started spinning. And I started thinking about like, what if there was a really futuristic city where really, really rich people lived all the way up in the clouds and the poor people lived down in the ground and they were like very downtrodden. And that idea started spinning in my head literally for years and it got more and more complex. And, and I started thinking of like, okay, but how did the city get here? And why is it so big and who's in charge? And um, over time that developed into the idea for Cilium City. And then that developed in, it kind of spun into the world. Um, so I would say that for me, my world building came first and I'm just kind of a nerd about like science. I love biology. I love history. And so I would look into sciencey type things and then figure out how they could be applied to a fantasy universe. I love that. I'm just like 
sitting here just zoned in listening. I think it's so cool to hear kind of the creative process because I I would love to write a chapter book someday and I've always dreamed of it. I've written a children's book, but that's a lot lot smaller scale. Um, and I don't want to say easier, but maybe easier just because you're, you don't have as much time to develop characters. You don't have as much, you know, as many pages to develop a city and this hierarchy that you're talking about. So I'm just sitting here like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. (laughs) It's fun. I think, I think writing a book is definitely the scariest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is something that I think pageants helped me a lot with is that, you know, competing at Miss America, I think the number one thing that it taught me is that it's important for me to take up space, to take up space on stage, to take up space when I'm giving a speech, to take up space in the organization and show up and compete over and over again. And as an author, you're basically like tinkering, making yourself a megaphone, you know, you're, you're, you're spending all of this time trying to say something. And it's been, you know, kind of insecure for me emotionally over the last year to be like, Sasha, do people really want to hear what you have to say? You know, who, like, who am I to write a book? And that's something I've asked myself a lot of times over the last year, because it kind of feels a little, you know, arrogant or a little hubristic to, to set out to become an author, you know? So I think that I'm very grateful to the pageant world for teaching me like, no, it's okay to want to take the microphone and it's okay to say, hey, I have ideas that I want to share and I'd like to have a platform. You know, those are positive things and not things that you should be ashamed of as a woman, you know? I love that. I love that so much. And I think that's, there's always like a piece of advice or something that comes out of every conversation I have. And that is something I've had to learn too, is that I can take up space. I should take up space. And other people need to learn that as well, is that we, you know, we have a voice, we have a place, we have a seat at the table, whatever it may be, and we deserve to be there. What is kind of the the timeline of Dragon's Way? I know that's a hard question, maybe even harder than when I asked you earlier about your favorite book, but what are, what does that process look like? Where do you kind of feel like you are in that process as an author? That's a, that's a great question. (laughs) You know, it's something I've been telling myself over and over is Sasha, you never have to do this again. You never (laughs) have to start your first book ever again, because I've definitely learned a lot through the process. I think that, um, to, to answer your question, I am in my second draft Okay. Oh, wow. Um, Yay. (laughs) And and the book is about a hundred thousand words long. That's what I'm shooting for. And when I say a hundred thousand words, a lot of people are like, I don't know how long that is. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. What does that mean? So so I say the hunger games is a hundred thousand words. Um, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is about, um, 125,000 words. So that gives you, you know, an idea. Mm -hmm. And they, they typically say in publishing that you want to keep your first book under a hundred thousand words because, you know, people don't know if they want to invest that much time in you. <laughs> as right. an yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to keep it down to that length. Um, I'm on my second draft. This draft is awful. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to be honest with you. It's not good. Um, but I, something that I've been kind of told the advice that I've gotten is that your, your first draft is just for yourself. And then your second draft, you can kind of start to polish. Mm-hmm. And so I actually gave the first act of Dragon Way to some beta readers. And I say beta readers, my close friends and my sisters. Yeah. 
beta readers. And um, I got some feedback because what's tricky about a fantasy book is that when you're scaling, when you're kind of dropping them into the world in the very beginning, it's really important that they understand a lot of things kind of in the first few chapters. Right, really quickly. Yeah, and, and something that they'll say about fantasy authors is that you don't want to info dump. You don't want to dump information on your readers right from the jump, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was quite concerned about that because I knew that I'm building a really big world. And so I wanted to give them the first act, make sure that everything made sense. So I handed it off. I got some feedback. Some of it was awesome. Some of it was, hey, Sasha, you need to work on this. <laughs> you need to fix these things. Um, so then I kind of go back to the drawing board. Um, and actually last night, I put the first act back together. So those edits are done. So that's so that's good. So exciting. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of difficult to estimate how many more drafts I'll want to get through. My right. guess is that I'll probably do three more big draft rewrites before I start querying agents. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the next um, step. So um, typically like within publishing, they say you want to write your book. Once you have your manuscript, you then write this query letter. It's kind of this, you know, copy and paste format. And then you try to go solicit a literary agent. And then if you get an agent that likes you, they'll pick you up. Um, You never pay your agent. That's very important. (laughs) Um, uh, If you get past that step, then your agent will then take your work and pitch it to publishers. And then at that point, the publishers can say thumbs up or thumbs down, like, yeah, we want this or we don't. If you have multiple publishers that want it, maybe you'll be lucky enough that they'll go to auction and they might like compete a bit for your book. Um, But, you know, another thing that's interesting about being an author is I just sat down with a financial advisor and had to tell him, I don't know how much money I'm going to (laughs) make off of this book ever. Right. (laughs) Well, could you give me an estimate? I'm like, well, it could be. $12. $12. It could be $12,000. It could be a million dollars. It is really, really hard to know. And um, but that's what's tricky about being an author is that you have to have a lot of courage and a lot of faith in yourself to push forward um, because it's so murky there for a long time when it comes to the finances. <laughs> a bit of an uncertain career, but a very exciting one to say. That absolutely. Least. Absolutely. So did you know that you wanted to be an author like growing up or where did that kind of come from? You know, we're really getting into sort of the inspiration um, behind Sasha as an author. So where, where did this idea come from? So I got to be honest, I, when I was 12 years old, decided I am going to be a New York Times bestselling author and like wrote it down in my journal. This is it, period. And I have a mom who started a multi, multi multi-million dollar business. Like my mom is a very successful entrepreneur and she raised all of her daughters and her son to believe that they could literally do anything that they wanted to do. Like she is my greatest blessing because she instilled this just insane confidence in myself so that when I went to her, when I was 12 and said, I want to be an author, she was like, start writing. Mm -hmm. So I did. So I wrote my first novel, my first 50,000 word novel when I was 12. And then I wrote another one when I was 13. Then I wrote another one when I was 14. And I started going to fantasy publishing conferences. I started listening to podcasts. I got so into writing and (laughs) thought that I'm, this is completely going to be my career at like age 14. Uh, (laughs) And then 
um, I got into high school and high school kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realized, um, you know, as I'm going to these different publishing conferences, something that I heard over and over again was, to be honest, nobody makes money as an author. That's not what you should do if you want to make money. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I need to have a, a feasible career for myself. And something that I also heard all the time was the only people that make money are people who have like a million followers. You know, Tom Brady can go have a best-selling cookbook. You know, mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian can put her name on something and it'll sell. But those are the only people that actually make money. And so in high school, I kind of just put that dream away and put it in a box and pivoted and said, okay, I'll go be a lawyer. I'll go to law school. So in, in all my pageant paperwork, it says, I'm going to go to law school. That's my plan. Mm -hmm. And I put away all my manuscripts and literally shoved them in my closet and forgot about them. And then I went to go work for Disney. You know, I, I went to go live my life. And then the pandemic hit and book talk hit me like a ton of bricks. And almost overnight, I had 1.3 million followers who were all readers. Mm -hmm. They're all readers. You found and your niche, I, you found your people. I did. And like, I, I personally, I'm a very spiritual person. I believe that the universe will show up for you. Mm -hmm. And it was without a doubt, I, I looked around and went, oh my gosh, everything that needed to happen for me to give me a runway to make this dream become possible has been done. I just seem to show up on my end of the bargain and write the book because I have the platform. It literally fell like manna from heaven <laughs> into my lap. Now I just need to write the book. Um, and so I would say like, I owe this enormous credit to book talk because it literally blew open this door and gave me the confidence to go spend a year trying to write a book and dig into my savings for a year <laughs> because I had a platform that I knew I could sell it to this audience. Um, so that's kind of the story of how I had this dream. I thought that I had to put it away. And then suddenly years later, the universe kind of slapped me across the face and said, you are going to do this. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's my story. It seems like sometimes, you know, I, I'm a believer that you can choose, you know, your own path, but there's always kind of something that's laid out there for you. And, and kind of like you said, you know, if you kind of get off the path, something is going to push you back to like what you're supposed to be doing and, and the difference that you're supposed to make in the world. So I love that the universe was like, here you go, do it, <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you ever felt that way in your life? Do you ever feel like the universe has kind of showed up for you? I think, I think there's been a few times. One that I think about often is I, you know, as so many people do, went through all of the things of this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. This is what I'm going to do when I grow up. And I thought for a really long time when I was in high school that I was going to be a doctor. That was my plan. I had applied to college and I was going pre-med. And then the couple of months before I started my freshman year of college, I remember feeling like I was having like a quarter life crisis, essentially. I was like, well, wait, is that right? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, I do love science. I do love people, but is that really it? And so I took a few classes and fell in love with journalism. And so that's what I've been doing now for the last three years. That's been my career. And I also feel like this opportunity as Miss South Dakota is another time when the universe is saying, well, wait a second, here's, here's a year off 
from normal life. Here's a year to just serve your state and serve people and make connections and be with people, which is another thing that I love. And I'm kind of taking that as, as a blessing of maybe it's time for me to do something else. You know, I love journalism and not that I'll step away from that, but maybe it's time for me to write my chapter book, or maybe it's time for me to build up this podcast or whatever it may be. So I, I agree. I think there are times when the universe says, here, here you go. <laughs> Here's where you're supposed to be. Let me just kind of push you back to, to, you know, what you're like, what your calling is. Absolutely. And you mentioned timing and I'm very curious because I felt very <laughs> much that my Miss Utah win landed at exactly the right time and that my U Miss Utah losses also landed at the time that I needed them. And I'm curious, you mentioned that you spent a lot of years competing like me. How do you feel about the timing of when you won and how that fit into the chronology of your life? I, so I love this because this is background for the listeners who, you know, and I hope that this reaches ears of people who have no idea who I am or who you are or any of, you know, our background with competing or anything. I didn't start competing in the Miss America opportunity until I was a sophomore in college. And at that point, yeah, I definitely was nowhere near ready to have this position and, you know, essentially take a year off from my life. And that was pretty true for a while. You know, I had mentioned earlier that I graduated during the pandemic and that would have been my third year competing. They canceled all of the state competitions. So of course we came back a year later and those years before I hadn't made finals. I hadn't won any prelims or extra scholarships or anything. And I was at a place where I was like, am I growing? Am I in the right spot? Or is somebody else supposed to have this title, this position, this opportunity? And I came back from the pandemic um, after having a year of working and I made top five for the first time, just boom, 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 won a prelim, made finals, made top five and realized that I was doing something I was supposed to be doing, but it still wasn't quite the right time. And it does feel, you know, things happen when they're supposed to. And it does kind of feel like this was it. You know, I'm, I am of course getting ready for the next phase of my life, but I have had, you know, or I would have had more time to compete, but I, you know, I have savings. I have the ability to be able to travel across the state. I've written my children's book that, you know, is going onto Amazon so that I can get that into the hands of people. It really does feel like it just kind of works when it's supposed to. And I know that's really hard for a lot of people to hear, whether they're kind of in our like pageant community or whatever else you're doing in life where it feels like I'm putting in everything, but I'm not getting anything out of it. I think you just have to keep pushing because it's, if you feel you're in the right space and you feel this is what you're supposed to be doing and you know that feeling, I mean, you know that I know that you just, you keep pushing, you keep doing it. So it was, I mean, it's been tough, you know, it's hard to compete for a long time. And there are women who have and will compete longer than either of us did. But if it's something you're passionate about, you just have to keep doing it. And I truly believe that the timing will happen when it's supposed to. Absolutely. Yeah. The older I get, the more I am grateful for my failures. I don't oh, know yeah. if you feel that way, but especially <laughs> in pageantry, like for example, my first local title that I ever competed as a miss I didn't win and I got first attendant and because of that I think that it really humbled me oh yeah and, you know and, and I, I think that it's so important to go through those types of losses and to have moments that make you go back to the drawing board and make you question like wait a minute mm -hmm. so 
yeah, I, I think that one of the best things that can happen to a candidate is having to compete a lot of times before they win because it makes oh, you work yeah. harder, you appreciate it more, you understand the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that that's awesome that the timing worked out for you the way that it did. Yeah, it was the same way. I competed. <laughs> I'm very competitive. Um, and everybody will probably understand that after I tell you all this, but I competed five or six times. I think at five or six different locals before I won a local title my first year, because I was very determined. I was very competitive and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. Um, and then, yeah, I kept going. And the, so last year, my local title, right before winning Miss South Dakota, um, the two years before that I had won my locals right off the bat. So came out of state and won, um, which is very exciting. But then this last year competed at my first local and I was first runner up, you know, and that was probably the kick in the butt that I needed to say, if this is what you want, then you've got to put in the work. So I competed at the next local and kind of full circle moment, won the same title that I had my very first year. Um, And it was like, okay, if you want this, then you've got to put in the work for it and you've got to want it and earn it and make it happen. Um, So I I get that. I get that it's a good thing to fail and it's a good thing to take that failure and, you know, feel it, feel how that is and, and work through that, but don't let it stop you from continuing to push, you know, in pageants or book writing. I, my first idea for a children's book, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And if I just stopped, then where would I be if I had just stopped, you know, with reaching out to people for the podcast, we wouldn't be having this conversation and I wouldn't have met, you know, somebody that I look up to, Sasha Sloan. So, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't stop just because you fail. Failing is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like resilience is such a hard thing to teach. I, I just spent the week at the lake with my little nieces and nephews who are oh. like five and six. And, you know, <laughs> one of them, if he encounters a challenge, he'll quit. And and they're trying really hard to teach him how to keep going when you encounter hard things. And something that I think about a lot, uh, even as like an actress and a performer, is that auditioning and getting rejected is part of the job. There is no way to do the job without auditioning and getting rejected, you know? And as humans, we want to do everything that we can to avoid the rejection, (laughs) but we have to understand that's part of the process, you know? And I think as a, as a writer, you also have to understand that critique and pushback is also a part of the job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an author, of course, I'm a people pleaser and I never want to have anybody critique anything (laughs) that I do as an author. And something that I've had to learn how to deal with being on book talk and having a platform is that I'm getting critiqued all the time from all different directions because I'm having a voice and I'm putting ideas and thoughts out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like trying to learn resiliency is understanding that there is no way for me to be perfect enough that I'm not going to get critique. And that critique and having people disagree with me is part of my job as an author. And I have to accept that criticism and understand that like, it doesn't, it it doesn't really connect with me. I don't own it. It belongs to somebody else, but I have to acknowledge its existence and be able to work with it existing. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's, it's perfect that you mentioned perfection because perfection is different in, you know, it's, it's the eye of the beholder, you know, what you think is perfect and, and you're never going to reach that because it's, it's not an attainable thing. There's perfection is it's, that's something I had to overcome um, and really think about is 
what am I trying to be perfect in? Who am I trying to be perfect for? Um, and sorry, I'm getting distracted because I'm thinking, <laughs> it's me thinking back to Miss South Dakota finals last year where I had said to my coach, oh, I wasn't perfect enough. And and that's something that you do. You have to kind of push through and and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, okay, I got to know because this just made me think, have you seen the Barbie movie? <laughs> Not yet. I want to, I haven't, it's on my list. And by the time this comes out, I will have seen it. So maybe I'll have to insert my review, but I've heard it's good. I want to see it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, without giving you a spoiler, there's a moment in it where Margot Robbie is dealing with the struggles of realizing that you cannot be perfect mm-hmm. and be human at the same time, that they cannot exist in the same space. And I feel I just related to that so much, particularly coming out of pageantry, because I think that we as women would like to think that if, if only we tried hard enough (laughs) and if only we were on our best behavior, then we would be able to achieve perfection and then no one would be able to criticize us. And the reality is that you cannot do that and be human, you know, and There's so much joy in accepting that reality is going to be messy and imperfect and sloppy and full of failure, you know, and it's going to be weird and dark, you know? And so I think that that's been something that I've loved embracing both in pageantry and in my post pageantry world as I'm sort of deconstructing, you know, the little cultural things that I've picked up over the years. Definitely. So, I mean, this episode could go on forever and sometimes I wish that they could, but if somebody wants to continue to hear from you and continue to keep up with your journey and, you know, your growth as an author and as even just a person, where can they find you in the book talk universe? <laughs> well, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube with the same handle. It's at Sasha E. Sloan. Right now, I'm mostly vlogging on YouTube. So I'd say, keep up with me there. I'll be back to making TikToks once Dragonway is done. <laughs> and I'll let you guys know when it's time for publishing. Hopefully, cross my fingers, it'll be in the next year or so. Oh, that's so exciting. And maybe we'll have to do a, an episode again where we can kind of check in and see, you know, what that process has been like. That's so exciting. <laughs> and thank you for having me so much for being... Oh, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much for having me on. I've seriously enjoyed talking to you so much and I wish you luck at Miss America. I cannot wait to see what you do. Thank you guys again so much for joining us for the Page Turners podcast this week. Make sure that you keep an eye out for the next episode. And until then, please, please leave a review, share with a friend, and make sure that you check us out on social media at at Miss America SD to keep up with all things literacy and falling in love with reading. Catch you next time.